Evening Sangha. Can you all hear me? It seems pretty loud. Is it too loud? No? So, here we are. This is the third day of our retreat. And I want to start off by reading a short scene of a uh, customer calling tech support trying to install love. (laughs) Tech support. Yes, ma'am, how can I help you? Customer. Well, after much, much consideration, I've decided to install love. Can you guide me through the process? Tech support. Yes, I can help you. Are you ready to proceed? Well, I'm not very technical, but I think I'm ready. What do I do first? Tech support. The first step is to open your heart. Have you located your heart, ma'am? Yes, but there are several other programs running now. Is it okay to install love when they are running? What programs are running, ma'am? Let's see. I have past hurt, low self-esteem, grudge, and resentment running right now. (laughs) Tech support. No problem. Love will gradually erase past hurt from your current operating system. It may remain in your permanent memory, but it will no longer disrupt other programs. Love will eventually override low self-esteem with a module of its own called self-compassion. However, you have to completely turn off grudge and resentment. Those programs prevent love from being properly installed. Can you turn those off, ma'am? Customer, I don't know how to turn them off. Can you tell me how? With pleasure. Go to your start menu and invoke forgiveness. Do this as many times as necessary until grudge and resentment have completely erased. (laughs) Customer, okay, done. Wow, love has started installing itself. Is that normal? Yes, but remember that you have only the base programs. You need to begin connecting to other hearts in order to get the upgrades. Oops, I have an error message already. It says, error program not run on internal components. What should I do? Tech support. Don't worry, ma'am. It means that love, the love program is set up to run on external hearts, but, not ha- but has not yet been run on your heart. In technical terms, it means that you have to love yourself before you can love others. So what should I do? Tech support, can you pull down self-acceptance, then click on the following. Forgive self, realize your worth, acknowledge your limitations. Customer, okay, done. Tech support, now copy them to the My Heart directory. The system will overwrite any conflicting files and begin patching faulty programming. Also, you need to delete verbose self-criticism. I will say that again. You need to delete verbose self-criticism from all directories and empty your recycle bin to make sure it's completely gone and never comes back. Customer, got it. Hey, my heart is filling up with new files. Smile is playing on my monitor and peace and contentment are copying themselves all over my heart. Is that normal? Sometimes. For others, it takes a while. For others, it takes a while but eventually everything gets downloaded at the proper time. So love is installed and running. One more thing before we hang up. 
Love is freeware. Be sure to give it and its various modules to everyone you meet. They will in turn share it with others and return some cool modules back to you. Customer, I promise to do just that. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> but we got the instructions about what to do. <laughs> we should have a, a, a hotline that we could get tech support when we're in the middle of meditating and we get stuck. So what I want to talk about tonight is we're a third, we're in the third full day of our retreat and um, oftentimes we have uh, barriers just as this customer had with installing love, we also have things arise when we're trying to install love. And, um, you know, this path, as I think we have been saying, is a path of purification and cultivation. And we know that uh, the first few days of retreat can be the detox period, right? All of the stuff arises that we have been trying, that we have been holding down and not allowing ourselves to experience. So we might have a lot of memories come up and a lot of anger or uh, sadness. And um, for me in the beginning of retreats, you know, I like to have a day or two of sobbing meditation and stomping meditation. Uh, because, you know, the function of emotions are to be known and to be felt. And a lot of times we don't allow ourselves to do that because they could be very uh, unpleasant or maybe we don't think that we, um, you know, that's not in our self-image to have those things. So it's absolutely all right if you need to take a few sits in your room and sob and... Uh, stomp just to have those emotions be known so they can be uh, released. It's good uh, probably to just let our mindfulness collect the data of what that feels like in the body, maybe any energetic feel that goes with that, or um, you know the thoughts that arise with those emotions arising or the um, the things that it wants us to do or not do. And to let go so much of the story, it's good to let go of the story if you can. And see it, you know, try to see it as a mental, um, a mental factor, a mental habit pattern. And, um, you know, we're all having very good, uh, strong mindfulness now because our samadhi, our concentration is strong because of the metta practice. So... Um, you know, to put that mindfulness frame around it, see the edges and uh, of these maybe habitual thought patterns that are coming up. You know, maybe even name them like, you know, work problems or relationship problems. And, you know, if there's a certain way that, uh, you know, we have um, defilements or habit patterns that impact the way that we perceive the world. And uh, this is an excellent time because we do have some good samadhi to see maybe some of those habit patterns. We can name them and start deconditioning them. You know, when we see the habit patterns, you know, my, one of mine was romantic fantasy. 
because I always wanted to have pleasant, you know, romantic fantasy is pretty pleasant. And uh, I was able to name it, and when it would come up, I would say, I see you, Mara. And it would allow it, you know, it really deconditioned it quite a bit. So that's one interesting thing that we can do when we feel our metta loving-kindness practice is getting irritated or getting um, impacted by other things coming up that this heart and mind wants us to know about. So, um, in addition to the uh, Brahma-viharas, the four divine abodes, uh, which are loving-kindness and compassion and sympathetic joy and equanimity, there are, are another list of very, very positive mental factors that are uh, included in this practice of cultivation. You know, cultivating very positive mental factors. And uh, some of these mental factors actually will help us on this retreat if we turn to them a little or turn to them and uh, use them to help mitigate anything uh, that might be standing of the way, in the way of us practicing the metta. And I just want to uh, talk about these for a little while. So these are 10 other uh, very positive mental factors that, um, and I'm sure many of you know, they're the 10 paramis or the 10 perfections. And there are a few of them that, uh, I don't want to talk about all 10 of them. Maybe I'll mention all 10 of them, but there's three of them I want to talk about that we can cultivate to strengthen our um, ability to stay with the loving kindness metta. So um, first of all, I want to, uh, well, I'll name the 10 paramis. And the 10 paramis are generosity or dana, virtue, morality, sila. That's all one. Uh, the third one is renunciation. The fourth is wisdom, panya. The fifth is energy, virya, and I'm gonna talk about virya as uh, something that can help promote our really staying with the practice and um, helping us stay connected. The one I'm probably gonna talk the most about is patience or kanti, patience. And I've actually done a fair amount of studying of patience because it's one of my weakest paramis. <laughs> it's always good to uh, work on, you know, to whenever I'm with a group, my sangha, we were actually all taking a parami or two to discuss, and I took the ones that I was weakest at, right? I mean, that's what we should do in order to really learn more about them and set a uh, intention to get stronger in those. So patience is one of my least strong um, paramis. So I'll be talking about that. Uh, then after that is truthfulness, uh, honesty, and then determination, aditana, and I'll be talking a little about determination too, because looking at that and trying to um, increase that can help us stay with the parami practice as well. And then guess what the next one is? 
metta, loving kindness. So uh, loving kindness metta is also on the parami chart. And uh, the last one is equanimity upeka. So let me just read, might as well, since we're on loving kindness, uh, what the paramis say about loving kindness. The parami of loving kindness or metta, its characteristic is friendliness. It promotes the well-being of living beings. And this is interesting. When I was preparing for this talk, I realized just how um, kind of empty of self um, metta is and empty, and you know, the paramis and the Brahma Vihara, that when it's at its strongest, it, um, it really takes others as you would take yourself. So there's probably an insight of anatta and uh, interconnectedness in it as well when it's at its strongest. It realizes that uh, none of us can ever really be happy as long as there's people suffering in the world. And I think we all know this from personal experience. I mean... So I'm probably going to start crying a couple of times during this talk, so <laughs> don't be alarmed. The teachers all told me, oh, we love it when teachers start crying during talks. Because so. <laughs> I just, you know, you get a very tender heart. So, for example, we see some of the pictures of what's happening on the border. Have you seen those pictures? You know, the poor children that are stuck in those detention centers and the dead bodies on the rivers on the way crossing. Wow. And that's the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to care deeply about others like that. And um, that's not a bad thing. But I know a lot of times I can't even listen to the news because there's such bad news on there these days. And that's definitely not a wholesome thing. <laughs> That is, you know, well, I'm sure it's an element of self-care, but gaining strength to, uh, gaining strength and these paramis to be able to open to the suffering of the world and having metta for, you know, wishing everyone well, you know, that's what we're trying to cultivate here. And nowadays, unfortunately, there's so much things that, you know, will touch our heart and move us and hopefully... Uh, motivate us to act and to do something about it. Because there's a lot of people who aren't being treated like humans nowadays. It's so, you know, it's so hurtful to the heart. So, the paramis I want to talk about, including metta, from the perspective of them as paramis, uh, it said that um, there are three stages in their development. There's the initiating stage, the gathering stage, and the completion stage. And usually, our um, reactions in the world are dependent on a lot of uh, unconscious self-image uh, mental factors like, uh, this is what I deserve, this is what I deserve, right? And I, I'm hearing that coming up a lot with people who are doing the metta, that um, all the places where the opposite of metta is uh, in them, the mental factors that 
are the opposite of metta are getting much brighter and they're uh, more able to be seen. And that's actually what all of the Brahmaviharas, the divine abodes, and the paramis do. Uh, when we're cultivating them, we're able to see the opposite of them in our heart and mind much more than we could see them when we're not trying to practice their opposites. And I think many of us have seen that, right? We've seen uh, trying to send ourselves metta. We've seen a lot of self-hate and self, um, you know, lack of self-regard and... Uh, you know, we've seen ways in which I like to say the settler has, uh, you know, colonized our heart and our mind. All the forces of greed, hatred, and delusion and how they've showed up in the social sphere and community sphere. You know, those are the unconscious ways that we understand ourselves or even picture ourselves. And when we do these positive mental qualities, when we do this practice like metta, those become more in relief. And that's a, that's a good thing. That's part of the purification process in our Eightfold Path. You know, uh, we want to see what negative ideas and beliefs that we have. Anusia, anusia I think they're called, they're called uh, the latent torments the latent torments of the mind. Because the Buddha knew about the unconscious mind 2,600 years before Sigmund Freud did. He was kind of smart. <laughs> so some of our unconscious or conscious self-image attitudes are, this is what I deserve, or should I really be doing this? You know, what is this about? Or this is what I always do. You know, our behavior is what we always do, like me, turning off the television or the radio because I can't stand to hear what's happening <laughs> or this is what I'm capable of and um, you know with development of uh, metta and of the paramis we're just um, you know letting go of all of that and setting a commitment to do uh, cultivation of positive mental qualities which is what leads us to freedom that's what leads us to awakening and, um, you know, it helps us let go and understand dukkha, the first noble truth of suffering. So the three stages, there is the initiating stage, the gathering stage, and the completion stage. And in the initiating stage, um, all we need to do is bring that topic to mind. Um, so, um, you know, that's what happens when we're doing our metta is uh, we're seeing, you know, what the opposite of that is in the stage. Well, actually, that's the second stage, the gathering stage. So <laughs> the first stage is just bringing loving kindness to mind. And I'll be talking about, um, about energy, patience a lot, and determination. So we just bring them to mind. You know, what does patience look like? Or... How could patience be applied here in this retreat as all of these uh, negative uh, mental factors, you know, become much more obvious to us? So we bring uh, these uh, beautiful qualities of mind to uh, heart. Even that much is helpful. Even that is useful. 
And um, it means that parami, you know, loving kindness and patience get built in as a frame of reference when other values such as fun, convenience, style, worldly performance or success can be taken, can taken over the mind. You know, what's taking over the mind on retreat? You know, that's a question. What are the, what are we seeing as the uh, habit patterns that are arising when we're trying to do this? So that's the initial uh, phase uh, of initiating development of this positive mental factor. And then the second stage is the gathering stage. And that's when we apply the perfection in the face of opposition. When, you know, for me it would be seeing myself getting impatient, like, hey, how come I'm not in jhana already? I've been doing this practice. Or, you know, (laughs) whatever we think, whatever we expect to be happening, or what we think should be happening, uh, you know, that comes up and uh, we see the opposite of the mental factor that we're trying to cultivate. And, um, you know, we see that, you know, it could be a motivation for us to stop doing what we're doing. But, you know, that's when we do the practice, e- even in the face of the opposition to it. When the doubt arises of, am I doing this right? Or, you know, I'm never going to get enlightened, so I don't even know why I'm doing this. Or, you know, I'm a Vipassana insight meditation person. I'm just going to do that practice. You know, we have reasons why we're not going to do the practice that we're all supposed to be cultivating right now. And, um, you know, the idea in the gathering stage, you know, we set the intention and go back to doing this practice even when we feel like we don't want to. Even in opposition when the opposite arises, when all the hindrances and doubt arise, we uh, set the intention again you know, may I get back to the, this practice for my sake and the sake of all beings. You know, may strong metta be cultivated in this heart and mind. Just to strengthen the intention, even when it's not convenient to do or fun to do. That's the gathering stage. And finally, the completion stage is when that mental factor is so well developed in us that we can't do it, that that is what gets, comes up and is the response to life. Um, and in, in a way, it's almost like you would rather, you know, you can't do anything but that, even at the risk of your own life or risk of your own, um, you know, safety, maybe in a relative sense, that the truth uh, and uh, metta and loving kindness and care for others in an, you know, in an easy and um, in a um, non-reactive way, of course, uh, that you can't not do it. You can't not uh, stand up for someone else's well-being. And that's, I think, what we're all trying to cultivate. Because, you know, in actuality, there are no others. I'm always going back to that. <laughs> So let me talk about patience. Patience is one, like I said, it's one of the paramis that I have tried to cultivate because it's one of the ones that I'm weakest in. And patience is a personal trait characterized by 
Some of the characteristics of patients are endurance under difficult circumstances, uh, persevering in the face of delay or uh, provocation without acting on negative annoyance or anger. That's an interesting one. When, you know, reactivity comes up and, you know, we want to say something and act out right away. But patience allows us to really step back and wait. Even if we're reactive and we think that we need to do something, even, you know, we think that maybe it's justice, you know, doing something, but uh, we're really motivated by anger or by... Um, you know, conceit where we're not going to take uh, what is happening in the external world. So patience allows us to just sit back and wait for the right motivation to arise. Um, another aspect of patience is forbearance. When under strain, especially when faced with long-term difficulties, we're able to say, no, I can continue doing this. Um, and patient endurance. And what is the opposite of patience? And this might sound familiar. I know, I see this all the time right here. Agitation is the opposite of patience. I mean, getting really reactive to what's happening in the moment. Um, arousal, being a coward, having cowardice arise is actually one of the opposites of patience. Um, indolence, compulsive behaviors and reactions, lethargy, I see lethargy a lot arising uh, instead of patience arising. Weakness, fear, resistance, frustration, impatience. Like, come on, this better hurry up. Or, you know, you says something out, oh, that's going to take way too long. I'm going to go to this other thing. That's a very common, I mean, that's one of my habit patterns. So... Um, There are um, three dimensions of patience. They are perseverance, endurance of hardship, and acceptance of the truth. So patient perseverance is when things aren't going well, and patience shows us our hidden views about things. And views, you know, those are really a huge element of what we're trying to see here too. Uh, views are our ideas that life is this way. It's when we all universalize our subjectivity, you know, based on our social location. This is the way things should be. And, you know, under all situations, things should be like this. And we know that views are, you know, one of the things that uh, prevent us from being, you know, from awakening and are causes of a lot of suffering for ourselves and others. I mean, we can see that right now, can't we? There's a lot of views, very unwholesome views that are becoming normalized and wow. People don't even realize that they're just opinions. They think that they're the norm or they're their truth. So views, yeah. Um, I like, um, I actually taught at uh, Sitting Bull College in uh, North Dakota for a while on the Standing Rock Reservation and um, I got to hang out with uh, uh, Deborah and Ron, his horse's thunder. And Ron, his horse's thunder, was one of the leaders of the water protection uprising at Standing Rock. And he had this wonderful saying that, oh my God, I was thinking, he, you're a Buddhist and you don't even know it. He said, uh, all generalizations are a lie. I love that. 
except maybe for um, Nama Rupa and Nibbana. Maybe those aren't the lie, but. So, um, patient perseverance. So, um, when things aren't going well, what are our expectations of intensive practice? I mean, you know, that's probably underlying what uh, some of us are feeling right, right now. Like, you know, this is the third day. Shouldn't this be happening or shouldn't that be happening? You know, as many have said already, we might have even unconsciously in our mind that uh, an idea that the practice develops linearly. Um, it's like this today, it should be like this tomorrow, it was like this yesterday. And we have these assumptions of uh, what things should be like. And that we have an underlying assumption that we should be able to manifest this or make this happen. And um, so if we have perseverance or patience, if we cultivate the perseverance element of patience, what we can do is... Um, uh, we develop an inner strength and a trust to confront long-ignored difficulties in us as well. So, um, you know, that's why we're probably opening to a lot of things that we haven't thought about or just habit patterns in our mind that we don't even, tr uh, you, know, are con or, you know, might be unconscious of because um, we're impatient or, you know, we don't have the discernment to even see them clearly. But um, so, you know, patient perseverance allows us to sit within uh, maybe a hostile workplace. It allows us to realize that that hostility is their problem and not ours. It allows us to be patient with our partners and our kids and maybe with the federal government, you know, develop some patience around that. Um, and it allows us to be free from the negativity that can come up with lack of patience. And um, so that's the first one, patient perseverance. And um, so that's the first dimension of patience is perseverance. So being able to be steady and staying with something, even when things that we don't like are coming up, to say, that's okay. You know, this heart and mind can hold this. Even if, you know, it gets triggered, we hold it without acting out very much. And then the second one is very interesting. It's calm endurance of hardship. And, uh, you know, we know that the world rests on suffering. You know, the suffering is everywhere. And there's actually this really um, incredible um, sutta simile. It's actually the simile of the saw in the Buddha suttas. To me, that's incredibly dramatic. Let me read part of it. It's in the Majjhima Nikaya. Monks, even if bandits were to carve you up savagely, limb by limb, with a two-handed saw, he among you who let his heart get angered, even at that, would not be doing my bidding. Even then, you should train yourself. Our minds will be unaffected, and we will say no evil words. We will remain sympathetic, with a mind of goodwill, and with no inner hate. We will keep pervading these people with an awareness imbued with goodwill and beginning with them, we will keep pervading the all-encompassing world with an awareness imbued with goodwill. Abundant, expansive, immeasurable, free from hostility, free from ill will. That's how you should train yourselves. Wow. 
I see some people going, no. <laughs> it's hard. And, you know, to think that that is the appropriate thing to do is like, really, is that what we're supposed to do? Is like not even strike back on that? Well, I have another um, quote that I want to read to you by someone who did absolutely that in response to an incredible amount of aggression and anger. Guess who it is? Malala Yousafzai. She absolutely did it. So this is what she said when she accepted, uh, this is what she said uh, uh, from a speech at the UN. She said, dear friends, on the 9th of October, 2012, the Taliban shot me on the left side of my forehead. They shot my friends too. They thought that the bullets would silence us, but they failed. And then out of that silence came thousands of voices. The terrorists thought that they would change our aims and stop our ambitions, but nothing changed in my life except this. Weakness, fear, and hopelessness died. Strength, power, and courage was born. I am the same Malala. My ambitions are the same. My hopes are the same. My dreams are the same. Dear sisters and brothers and others, I am not against anyone. Neither am I here to speak in terms of personal revenge against the Taliban or any other terrorist group. I am here to speak up for the right of education of every child. I want, to, I want education for the sons and the daughters of all extreme, extremists, especially the Taliban. I do not even hate the Talib who shot me. Even if there is a gun in my hand and, the, and he stands in front of me, I would not shoot him. This is the compassion that I have learned from Muhammad, the prof, prophet of mercy. Jesus Christ and Lord Buddha. This is the legacy of change that I have inherited from Martin Luther King, Nelson Mandela, and Muhammad Ali Jinnah. This is the philosophy of nonviolence that I have learned from Gandhiji, Baka Khan, and Mother Teresa. And this is the forgiveness that I have learned from my mother and father. This is what my soul is telling me, be peaceful and love everyone. Dear sisters and brothers, we realize the importance of light when we see darkness. We realize the importance of our voice when we are silenced. In the same way, when we were in Swat, the north of Pakistan, we realized the importance of pens and books when we saw the guns. This wise saying, the pen is mightier than sword, was true. The extremists are afraid of books and pens. The power of education frightens them. They are afraid of women. The power of the voice of woman frightens them. And that is why they killed 14 innocent medical students in the recent attack in Quetta. And that is why they killed many female teachers and polio workers in Putan, Kua, and Fatah. That is why they are blasting schools every day, because they were and they are afraid of change, afraid of the equality that we bring into our society. Wow. So that is patience under hardship. 
patience and metta under hardship. I think that's a beautiful testament to, you know, what we can cultivate. Malala. Maybe sometimes when we get impatient, we can say, may Malala arise. (laughs) Actually, that's a thing. You can do that. So that is calm endurance of hardship. I think that's a great example of that. And then the third um, type, um, the third dimension of patience is acceptance of the truth. And, you know, that's exception, ex, uh, one um, dimension of that is accept, uh, acceptance of the first and second noble truths. That, um, you know, no conditioned, no, nothing in our conditioned existence is going to bring us any lasting uh, satisfaction that there's nothing that we could get or be or buy or have or even get rid of that is going to stop us uh, from wanting something else. And even, you know, seeing the truth of wanting, of craving, you know, seeing it as closely as we can with, uh, you know, our strong uh, discernment developed by our beautiful um, loving-kindness samadhi practice to specifically look at what tanha feels like. And specifically, I like to look at how satisfied I am when I get something that I really wanted. Right? Wow. Not very satisfied. The first few bites of something, maybe, or... You know, I'm a bargain shopper, so... I will buy things that I don't even need just because they're on incredible sale, right? <laughs> Does anybody else do that? <laughs> and, you know, since I just had a retreat, I'm not sure whether I told this story at this retreat or the last retreat. Did I tell you the story on this retreat about the Dillard's thing? I didn't tell you. So Dillard's store, it's like the only store that I buy stuff online at and... Like twice a year, they have this thing where everything is 40% off sale prices. So it's like, you know, the best deal you could ever get on anything. And sometimes I actually call up my friends and say, what size are you? Just so I could buy stuff for other people. But this year, you know, I did the requisite, you know, three hours online thinking, okay, I'll take this. Even though I had two in my closet already, right? But what was so useful for me to see was that uh, when the stuff came in the mail, it took me two days to open it. It was like I was so, like, who cares about that? You know, I was so disconnected from even wanting those things, but I was able to see clearly just how unsatisfied I was when the box got there. That was a good insight for me. So that's the truth of tanha. And uh, that's acceptance of the truth of things to, you know, be able to, to see clearly just how much, um, just how much craving and clinging is uh, very hurtful to us. 
so what we have is um, the truth uh, that we, you know, that we live in a world that is not satisfying and is uh, unpleasant uh, to a little degree and can be unpleasant to a huge degree. And all of the things that are pleasant, mainly, particularly if it's externally focused, those things are, um, are, you know, initially can be pleasant, but in the long run, they don't provide any satisfaction. And um, so what do we do to work towards patience? How do we develop patience when we have these three dimensions of impatience? We uh, don't persevere. We um, don't, you know, hardship totally knocks us down and we can't get up. And, you know, we don't want to see the truth because we want to pretend that we can be happy with something out here. So uh, uh, ways to develop patience are to become mindful of impatience. You know, really see it when it arises. And then uh, we realized with the trained mind that we have a choice in the moment. And uh, we unravel the conditioned mental habit patterns. Um, and then faith. Faith is an excellent... Um, an excellent uh, support for patients. And it's been so beautiful. I've seen so much faith uh, in uh, the people that are coming in for the interviews in the groups. And if you have faith in your heart, faith, uh, you know, you're really believing like, wow, this stuff really works. It can also look like awe, you know, awe of the practice where maybe you're seeing some you know, some very blissful moments and like, wow, this practice is crazy. That can also be faith or confidence, confidence in the practice. And when uh, these really positive mental factors arise, you should definitely um, know that they're there and really feel what they feel like because when they're not there, you can call them up. May confidence arise, may faith arise. You know, you can, and if you know what they feel like, you know, you can remember what they feel like and that really helps them arise in response to uh, the opposite arising. So two other perfections I want to talk about are energy virya. And uh, virya is, uh, refers to walking the spiritual path with the fearlessness and determination of a warrior. I don't know if that's a good analogy. Is that a good analogy? I think for now I can't think of a better one, but yeah, that's... Um, and you know, all of these things, we think that we produce them, but they're mental factors that we can strengthen and then arise on their own in response to life. Uh, sometimes... I think wanting it is more chanda than desire. Chanda is spiritual... Or, or wholesome wanting, right? Wholesome desire for these ten, uh, ten uh, mental factors and the four Brahma Viharas. So that is chanda, not necessarily greed for something. It's very wholesome to want these things. So, um, you know, we can uh, uh, have a desire for our chanda, for virya to arise, uh, energy, and um, it will give us more determination and uh, to go forward and to not stop what we're doing. It allows us to follow the path with diligence and steadfastness and interest in a spite of all of the obstacles. 
It uh, is fearlessness and flows naturally from the perfection of wisdom. You know, when we can see the truth of um, the Four Noble Truths, energy and virya arises on its own. So I've already talked about patience and the other uh, uh, very wholesome mental factor I wanted to talk about is uh, determination. Where is determination here? Well, I can't find determination. <laughs> so I want to uh, share with you some uh, phrases, some, uh, just like the meta phrases, some phrases that we could use to help, uh, to help um, energy and uh, patience to arise. They can be as simple as, may I ever be patient? May I able to bear and forbear the wrongs of others? So that's an interesting thing. I mean, that's one of the aspects of patience is that even though, you know, anger and hate and, you know, reactivity arises, is patience allows us to step back and not act on that. And that's really big, very, very big. That's very huge. And, you know, it's not that you're not going to act, but you don't want to act uh, from the motivation of anger or rage or, um, you know, a negative emotion. Because they say karma rests on the tip of intention, right? So, um, you know, we do want to uh, say something and act in the face of injustice and in the face of disrespect even for ourselves, you know. We deserve not to be disrespected. But we should do it from motivation of metta for ourselves and for others and from a motivation of panya or discernment, seeing the truth of something but not on those negative emotions that arise in the moment. Those are not what we want to base, uh, base our motivation for what we're thinking about, you know, what, how we act in the world or what we say. So, Kanti, patience. May I ever be patient. May I be able to bear and forbear the wrongs of others. May I be tolerant and see the good and beautiful in all. And, you know, all of these, we can develop our own phrases for them. Aditana, determination. May I be firm and resolute. May I be soft as a flower and firm as a rock. For energy, we could say, May I be energetic, vigorous, and persevering. May I strive diligently until I achieve my goal. May I be fearless in facing dangers and courageously surmount all obstacles. May I be able to serve others to the best of my ability. Just as we're developing metta, loving kindness, you know, we can develop other qualities that will help us maintain, you know, our task on this retreat. So I want to close by reading another 
story from the New York Times that sometimes makes me cry. So I'm going to try not to cry when I read it. <laughs> it's called The Tire Iron and the Tamale. During this past year, I've had three instances of car trouble, a blowout on a, free, blowout on a freeway, a bunch of blown fuses, and an out-of-gas situation. They all happened while I was driving other, other people's cars, which for some reason makes it worse on an emotional level. And on a practical level as well, what with the fact that I carry things like a jack and extra fuses in my own car, and know enough not to park on a steep incline with less than a gallon of fuel. Each time when these things happen, I was disgusted with the way people didn't bother to help. I was stuck on the side of the freeway, hoping my friend's roadside service would show, just watching tow trucks cruise past me. The people at the gas station where I asked for a gas can told me that they couldn't lend them out, for safety reasons, but that I could buy a really crappy one-gallon can with no cap for $15. It was enough to make me say stuff like, this country is going to hell in a handbasket, which I actually said. <laughs> but you know who came to my rescue all three times? Immigrants, Mexican immigrants. None of them spoke any English. One of the guys stopped to help me with the blowout, even though he had his whole family of four in tow. I was on the other side of the road for close to three hours with my friend's big Jeep. I put signs in the windows, big signs that said, need a jack, and offered money. Nothing. Right as I was about to give up and start hitchhiking, a van pulled over and the guy bounded out. He sized up the situation and called for his daughter, who spoke English. He conveyed through her that he had a jack, but that it was too small for the Jeep, so we would need to brace it. Then he got a saw from the van and cut a section out of a big log on the side of the road. We rolled it over, put his jack on top, and we were in business. I started taking the wheel off, and then, if you can believe it, I broke his tire iron. It was one of those collapsible ones, and I wasn't careful, and I snapped the head clean off. Damn. No worries. He ran to the van and handed it to his wife, and, when she, and she was gone in a flash down the road to buy a new tire iron. She was back in 15 minutes. We finished the job with a little sweat and cussing. The logs started to give, and I was, ver and I was a very happy man. The two of us were filthy and sweaty. His wife produced a large water jug for us to wash our hands in. I tried to put a 20 in the man's hand, but he wouldn't take it. So instead, I went up to the van and gave it to his wife as quietly as I could. I thanked them up and down and down and up. I asked the little girl where they lived, thinking maybe I'd send them a gift for being so awesome. She said they lived in Mexico. They were in Oregon, so mommy and daddy could pick cherries for the next few weeks. Then they were going to pick peaches, then go home. After I said my goodbyes and started walking back to the Jeep, the girl called out and asked if I had had lunch. When I told her no, she ran up and handed me a tamale. This family, undoubtedly poorer than just about everyone else on the stretch of highway, working on a se seasonal basis where time is money, 
took a couple of hours out of their day to help a strange guy on the side of the road while people in tow trucks were just passing him by. But they weren't done yet. I thanked them again and walked back to my car and I opened the foil on the tamale. I was starving by this point. And what did I find inside? My $20 bill. I rolled around and ran to the van, and the guy rolled down his window. He saw the $20 in my hand and just started shaking his head no. All I could think of was, por favor, por favor, por favor, with my hands out. The guy just smiled and with what looked like great concentration said in English, today you, tomorrow me. Then he rolled up his window and drove away with his daughter, waving to me from the back. I sat in my car eating the best tamale I ever had, and I just started to cry. I'd been through a rough year. Nothing seemed to break my way. This was so out of left field, I just couldn't handle it. In the several months since I've changed a couple, in the several months since, I've changed a, changed a couple of tires, given a few rides to gas stations, and, and once drove 50 miles out of my way to get a girl to, an, to the to an airport. I won't accept money, but every time I'm able to help, I feel like I'm putting something in the bank. Now that is metta. That is how metta shows up. Let's sit for a moment and take in the goodness of others. How metta shows up. May patience arise, may forbearance and determination arise. May all our efforts be for the awakening of ourselves and all beings everywhere. See you back at nine o'clock. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.